Hey everybody, Ryan Molly here, and welcome to Hey Sawbones, my story, my passion. This week's guest, um, he is kind of like a potpourri, bowl of potpourri, because he's done everything. Uh, he was a police officer for uh, close to 20 years, um, real estate investor, has over 30 units uh, with real estate. He started a, a credit um, improvement type of uh, business as well to help people with with credit, help to get loans. And he recently started a, a, like a logistics company with um, moving a produce around from California, Florida, Mexico. So super interesting guy, very entrepreneurial, very business-minded. He's got a great head on his shoulders, unbelievable family. And um, we grew up you know, in the same area, Townville, Pennsylvania. Tons of respect for him. So stay tuned. Mike Burroughs is coming your way. Have a great one. All nurses to the nurses station. Lawless country people are real close family. Lately, some of my kinfolk. Says, hey, soft bones, I'm just a carrying on an old family tradition. They want to know, Doc, why do you think I got some pain in my joints? For years of playing hard in this life that's too short. When that doctor asked me, son, how'd you get me? Tell me all about it, Doc. Hey, everybody. Dr. Ryan Molly here, and welcome to Hey Sawbones, my story, my passion. I'm your host, orthopedic surgeon, cutter of bones, entrepreneur, businessman, but most importantly, loving husband and father of three very busy boys. So today, I'm really excited to be able to share this guest. Um, he's been a friend for, gosh, probably 30-some years. Um, another local boy from Townville, Pennsylvania. And uh, we've played a lot of basketball together over the years in three-on-three tournaments. Uh, we've remained friends over that 30-year period. And uh, he's had a lot of different occupations, which is what really interests me about him because uh, he spent some time as an Erie police officer, almost 20 years, Um and I'm going to let you uh, hear a lot more about him and what he currently does and his path on that way to success uh, straight from his mouth. So without further ado, uh, Mr. Mike Burroughs, how are you, bud? Good, buddy. How you doing, man? Great. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so, for having me. Yeah. So as we always start these out, I'd like to um, give our audience kind of a sneak peek into who Mike Burroughs is, like where you're from, where you grew up, and uh, maybe a little bit about your family. Well, that'll hit close to home. Uh I'm from the same town as you, Maplewood, uh, Townville. I always like to say we couldn't even think of a name for our town, so it's Townville, <laughs> where we're from. Center of the universe, right? Yeah. 
But uh, I, I remember I actually met you a little bit later around high school time because uh, I kind of moved all around. You know, I was from Townville, Pleasantville, and uh, my mom and I, we moved away over to Ohio for a while. But uh, I came back in 10th grade, and that's actually when I met you through our friend Ryan Ray and yeah. started playing basketball together. And yeah, but Townville, small town. And uh, yeah, Ryan was actually one of the guests on the podcast. And, um, you know, the three of us have remained close. Yeah. Usually a couple times a year, we try to get together and grab a couple beers, maybe have some wings and maybe watch some football. Yeah. So, um, speaking of, are you thirsty? I am thirsty. So as, you as you guys all know, I always ask my guests, you know, what's your favorite you know, drink? It doesn't have to be an alcoholic beverage, but um, oftentimes it is. And that's <laughs> 99% of the time. You got it is. me here. So uh, Mike has a very similar palate to mine. Uh, we both are IPA guys. So um, today I'm going to do one of my favorite IPAs. Um, you you kind of, again, shared the same thing because there's a lot of IPAs out there that are very fruity. Yeah. That is not my style. Yeah, me neither. At all. I'm more of like a West Coast IPA guy. Yeah. So I got us some Dogfish Head 60 Minute. Wow. That's so, a good one. I like that. All right. Let's do let's it. Do okay. It. All right. So, Mike, you kind of know the format. We've um, gone through this before. Uh, six questions. Hold that. I'll get you open here in just a second. All right. um, six questions. Uh, we do three business questions first, and then three personal questions. I always have my uh, kind of guests go first. And... Um, you know, then we'll switch the tables. I'll ask you questions, and um, then we'll do a couple other fun things. And, um, you know, just let it go where it goes. Uh, this is very raw, very genuine, very authentic. There's very little editing that goes on. The one caveat is that you can veto one question if you don't like it. Okay. But you'd be the first ever. So okay. th this is episode 16, by the way, and we've never had anybody veto a question. I think there's been a couple close calls, but um, cheers, buddy. Cheers, man. I love this beer. It's a good one. It is a really good one. I actually like this better on tap than uh, bottled. Right. So one thing I was thinking about, Ryan, on the way over here is how when, 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 let's see, being in our 20s, like I worked all through my 20s, and you were in school pretty much until you were 30, and you actually came and lived with me for a year, and you lived in my basement. I had to finish. Not a then. year. It was, it was about two and a half months. Is that what it was? Yeah, maybe it three. Seemed, it, it seemed was, like a long time. You no, know, it was uh, it was actually July, August, September. It was my first three months um, that I was supposed to be doing a pediatric orthopedic rotation. And a lot of people would go like to Cincinnati, very big for orthopedics, pediatrics. And I knew I was going to do adult reconstruction. It was my last year of my residency. And uh, we had Shriners Hospital in Erie. And I yeah. said, you know what? I know what I'm going to do with my career. I don't need to be pinning all these super condylar elbow fractures and these kids are doing these long spine cases so yeah you and your wife Jess were gracious enough to host me but that was 2009 from July till yeah July August September that was a good time it was we had a good time we did it I remember was, getting it out on your boat and and things yeah. like that but yeah you were right I mean you were well into your career at that point yeah and I remember thinking like it's like you gave up your 20s like you know I know you guys sacrifice so much when you become a doctor. I mean, 10 years of college, I was already, you know, everybody wants to get out and make money and have cars and things, have things. And I remember wanting to get out of college. I just wanted to go to work and, and I don't know, it's just, it's just something weird that doctors give up their twenties. 
To yes, be a, to be I, a, I was actually 32 when I got my first real job, and I did not take one week off, month off from any schooling. It was straight through four years of undergrad, four years of med school, five years of residency, and then I did an additional um, fellowship in uh, adult reconstruction. So, yeah, it's a massive. I it's mean, a it literally is a massive it's, sacrifice. It's 14 years beyond high school. Yeah. No, no, thank you. And, 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 but then it. you're like still learning, right? Like it's not like you come out and because they don't teach you anything business related. And the first couple of years, you're like, where'd my security blanket go? Where's my pacifier? Because I always had an attending yeah. that I could bounce things off. Yeah. I mean, well, that's how it is. I went to I went to college to be a police officer and you don't really learn anything in college. You The first day you get on the streets when you learn, learn about that. But yeah. Same thing. Mm-hmm. So business question. Sure. All right. So... As far as your business, I, I'm I'm more interested in because you're a doctor, mm-hmm. but you're not now. You're like literally, truly a business owner, an entrepreneur. So, how did you, or when did you decide you wanted to be a business owner as opposed to a doctor? Well, I'm still a physician, right? F- first and foremost, once you're a physician, you're always a physician, and and my primary job is an orthopedic surgeon. I mean, I'm I'm very busy with. Um, I operate three, sometimes four days a week, and I do clinic at least two days a week. But um, it was pretty early on that I realized that I was not employable. (laughs) Um, My first year of practice, I was part of a private practice, but I was employed. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a hospital administrator over top of me telling me what to do. I had senior partners. I was not a business partner at that point, but I was employed or a, a lot of people would call like an associate uh, physician. So I had no business stake. I had no investment in it. I was, you know, practicing alongside other physicians and they ran the practice. Um, years two and three, I decided. Where, where was that at? Year that was one. in Michigan. Michigan. Okay. My first four and a half, almost five years were in Michigan in practice. And I had done my residency there. And uh, for one year, I went to Columbus with my wife, Karen, uh, did a fellowship, but then we came back in 2011 um, to to practice uh, medicine there. And then my years two and three, I decided to become hospital employed. It was kind of like the thing that people were doing at that point. Um, I I saw, hey, it's an opportunity um, to make a lot more money. I just didn't realize what it was. And it was essentially putting a fish hook in you from every single angle, putting handcuffs on you, and not allowing you to do what you were really trained to do. Um, Now, granted, I had very, very little business knowledge at that point. But I would say within the first week of that two-year stint, I realized I did not like being employed. Hospital Was employed. that down in Meadville? Nope. This is all in Michigan. Oh, this is all Michigan. Michigan. So, uh, but I didn't leave my actual practice, so I still practice alongside the other physicians. Um, and it worked out for the practice because the hospital that employed me paid the practice for rent, for x-rays. They would pay for my staff. So the practice made out financially. Um, but I absolutely hated it because I was being told what to do by hospital administrators that had absolutely zero clinical knowledge. They'd never, never been in the trenches. They were sitting around, um, you know, uh, big conference tables uh, talking about how can we save a buck, um, which generally uh, meant that a patient was going to get uh, a lesser quality uh, surgery, uh, implant experience. And I just did not like it at all. And I had uh, hospital administrators telling me, oh my gosh, you're losing us money. I'm like, I am not stupid. No, I do not have a business degree, but I realized that orthopedics uh, and spine surgery generate the most amount of revenue for any hospital 
hands down, of any subspecialty. And we're talking tens of millions of dollars that, that we're generating for the hospital. And, and they were they were saying that you were losing them money. Yeah. Really what they meant is you could be making more money and you're not making us more money because you couldn't have been losing them. No, money, right? no, I think that they were just flat, flat out lying to me to try to like get me to, to, to motivate me to do more. And it was like run faster on the treadmill. When I was busting my butt, I was going out in the community, I was doing community seminars. So long story short, I said, this is not for me. So I, I went year four back into private practice and I became a partner at the same practice that I never left. Um, I knew the guys there. I, I, I liked the guys there. They were all older and two of them were in their late sixties. I think one was in his early seventies and one was in his mid to late forties. So I was definitely the young guy. I was 35, 36 at that point became a partner. And then, um, but literally a couple months later, uh, then opportunity in Meadville came up for me. And, um, that, that took me a couple months, my wife and I had to kind of deliberate what we wanted to do. And then we decided to move to Meadville. It was another employed position, but not hospital employed. I, I never was hospital employed again. I, I did that once and I was never going to do it again. It was private practice employed for two years. And then I started to realize that like, even that wasn't allowing me to really do things the way that I wanted to do them. There was extreme jealousy. Um, it just wasn't healthy. And um, I, I didn't feel like I had a true partner in that practice. So I kind of decided to go out on my own and start my own practice. And that's when Dr. Frednet came out of retirement, joined me, and we've been together ever since. And at this point, I now um, have over 30 employees, five of which are orthopedic surgeons and five of which are mid-levels. So four PAs and one nurse practitioner. So yeah, well, I, I'm still a physician. Uh, very much first and foremost, but uh, over the years, I realized um, that I really do enjoy business and I really, uh, for my patient's sake, I want to be able to offer the best experience to them possible. And the only way that I can truly do that is if I'm controlling the ship. Yeah. So do you have an office manager or who's actually like doing the payroll, the things like that? That's the, the I mean, you're still a surgeon Yeah. and you have to focus on that. I would imagine there's training. So, yes. So I have a lot, I have a leadership team. So I have, um, a chief financial officer slash business manager. Um, he's great. His name's Sean McKinnon. Hopefully we're going to get him on the podcast. I was saying that with him, him last yeah. night. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, uh, just recently. Um, but, uh, so Sean, he's, he's the guy that runs all the books. He does all the, uh, the payroll, everything like that. Um, he, he's the, the, the account, he's an accountant mm -hmm. by, by trade. And then I have, um, like, office clinical managers so they're kind of in charge of uh, making sure that the staff are doing what they're supposed to be doing uh controlling their schedules making sure that if they have vacation time that two or three people aren't taking vacation at the same time um controlling kind of the, the flow of the patients um i have a, a marketing director uh she does an amazing job she's deeply involved in the podcast and pretty much a lot of other side projects that I do, but she does all the marketing for the practice, all the social media for the practice. Um, I just, I have a great group of people around me, but truly like office manager, it's still me. Like nothing happens unless it's, um, unless I give it the final stamp of approval because I'm the only investor. I'm the only owner of the practice and it's my baby. So I can't just like say, oh, go run the practice how you want to. Right. And that's, that's, uh, you know, I have several businesses that I run and I've learned slowly, but now very quickly as I start new businesses is, is you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. Absolutely. And if, you know, I've had employees before that were just dragging everybody down 
but they were hard workers. But man, I tell you what, it ta- it only takes one. Like it's like a bad business, apple in the barrel, right? It's a bad apple, and it really does corrupt all of them. And and they always say like uh, in business, you should always cut your t- your lowest ten percent every year, and it keep improving everything. But I was wondering who how you were operating on people and running a business at the same time. Yeah, I mean it was very challenging, and especially right out of the gates because I started to practice in my late thirties with zero business training whatsoever. It was just like, I know how to be an orthopedic surgeon. Um, I had a lot of great um, mentors along the way in terms of like where I did my fellowship. They were extremely business savvy, but I never really sat down with them and like picked their brains. It was more like observation. I was, I was watching everything. I'm always very detail oriented and I'm, I'm kind of just seeing how, how are people doing this? Um, What, and one of the things is exactly what you said is like, making sure that you have the key players like a football team, you know, you you have your head coach and that's me. um, But you have your offensive coordinator, your defensive coordinator, your special teams uh, coordinators, and the head coach can't do all that. And you have to let them work. Yes. You have to empower them them. and you have to let them do. Now you give them guidance, you give them direction, but they have to do it the way that they're comfortable doing it. You can't micromanage. Right. So can I move on to my second question? So, the next question, I don't know, I might word this wrong, okay, but explain the dynamic, because you told me something before, and, it, and it's always hit with me, it struck with me. Explain the dynamic of how you, UPMC sur- Surgery Center doesn't own you. And what I mean is you had said a lot of doctors are owned by the insurance companies, and you started your own thing. Can you explain that? Yeah, so uh, particularly, I mean, I wouldn't just say in this area, but We'll use this general geographic area. Northwest Pennsylvania is a great example of this. So the, the two primary commercial pairs um, are um, UPMC and Highmark, yeah, Allegheny Health Network. They own hospitals, which, I mean, I may offend people, but I doubt I will. That should be highly illegal. That is a conflict of interest. I, 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 there's no other way so to say So you're saying it. the insurance company owns the hospital. They do. So any doctor so, that so works Hammett? for the hospital... Has any, to do with the insurance company. Any any doctor that's employed by the hospital is a UPMC employee. Any doctor at St. Vincent that's employed by St. Vincent is actually employed by Allegheny Health Network, which is an insurance company. It's it's Highmark. So the the I think the thing there is employed versus subcontracted. Uh, or or private. I'm private. So I I am I am my own boss. Um, I have contracts with those insurance providers. So. Uh, if you had UPMC insurance, you could still come to me. Now, my my rates are going to be less than what they because they want to keep all the business in their own. It, they're paying themselves, right? So th- they're discouraging people from going outside of the health system, or going outside of UPMC, or going outside of Allegheny Health Net- or Network because they tier it. So they say, well, that's a a tier two facility or a tier two provider, um, and and it's quite frankly, it's bullshit. Um, but I, I can just tell you that the monopoly game of, uh, and they've mm-hmm. gone to war against one another. Um, it's so corrupt. The UPMC, I think it's funny. They call themselves a nonprofit organization. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and they're a multi-billion dollar revenue generator yeah. pro- profit center every single year. It's uh, it, the insurance industry is, is so, a so whole podcast in of I, itself. If I needed a hip and I went to UMP, UPMC, yeah. you're saying, a certain rate would be charged. But if I went to you, a higher rate would be charged. They'll it's it costs uh, it, it's it's tricky because, because like they not, want you to go to there. Not all UPMC insurance policies policies are the same. There are so many different policies mm-hmm. out there. But 
we have contracts with all of the major payers. So Medicare, um, UPMC, Highmark, Aetna, Cigna, United Healthcare, um, very, very small percentage Medicaid in our practice. Um, and, and Medicare, they kind of set the standards. That's center for, that's the government. Mm-hmm. So they set the, the standard of what they're going to reimburse each practice for whatever procedure, say a total hip. They'll set a certain dollar amount and they'll say, for if you do a total hip on a Medicare patient, this is what we will reimburse your practice. Mm-hmm. This is what will reimburse the hospital. So there's what's called uh, facility fees. That's what the hospital gets. Mm-hmm. It's significantly more than the professional fees. The professional fees are what the surgeon gets for physically doing the operation. Okay. So, and I'm not saying that the, the physicians do all the work, but they, they, I mean, they drive it, right? Like I've never seen a patient come to me uh, because I do surgeries at a certain hospital. They come to the surgeon because they know who the surgeon is. Right. They've heard that, oh, you did my neighbor, you did my my sister, you did my brother, my my spouse. I trust you. They're not going, I trust UPMC. I well, want right. you to send me to a UPMC. UPMC essentially doctor. provides the environment for the surgeon to work. But not for me because I go well, to a, I go to a, a private hospital, physician-owned hospital. Right, right. Um, so we take all payers, and and you can have Highmark insurance and still go to UPMC. Uh, it just won't pay as well to UPMC as a UPMC insurance plan would. So they deter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would imagine there's not too many doctors in the area that said uh, I'm going to do it my way and create my own surgery center or. So uh, in Northwest Pennsylvania, kind of north of of Meadville, we are the last of the Mohicans. We're the only private orthopedic practice. And I'm very proud of that, but it is extraordinarily challenging. Um, It's so political. They try to squash us every year because they reduce our reimbursements every year um, while they increase what they pay the hospitals, the facility fees. So it's a way to try to force every single physician to become hospital employed. Because once they have you, then they enforce their non-compete. And then after two years, they give you this great contract. Say, hey, Mike, I'm going to give you X amount of dollars. Year three, though, they're like, oh, you're not as productive. That's what the hospital in Michigan was doing. You're, you're losing us money. You're not as productive as you were. Um, we're going to reduce your reimbursement on year three. And by the way, if you try to leave, we have a non-compete that's going to prohibit you from yeah. practicing in a 50-mile radius. So you have the, to move the- your whole family. You know, not to get political, but the one thing that this 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 government is supposed to protect everybody from is monopolies, and I think that is a huge problem in in almost every aspect in this country, from a small business owner to a doctor trying to. It's just monopolies are crushing us. Yeah, and, and what it's doing to physicians um, because it, it has swung the pendulum so far to the employment model because these young graduates coming out, they say, "Oh my gosh, this looks great! Look at this contract! I'm going to get paid X amount of money." They don't realize that they just sold their soul to the devil and that they're they're going to be locked into this contract and they're literally going to have to take pick up their family and move to a different geographic area and start all over with new patients, which is very challenging. Yeah. And then the, the insurance companies, um, and I don't even feel bad about beating them up because it, it is the biggest scam in the world. They increase the deductibles that every patient they increase the premiums that they charge patients every year however they decrease what they pay the physicians every single year right and 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 the thing is is i think probably everybody's a regular person's perspective is oh poor doctors i mean you're making so much money yeah compared to what they're making but they this is what i say i'm sorry this is they didn't give up a decade yeah plus all of their 20s and they didn't graduate with minimum a quarter of a million dollars in school loans. Yeah. So 
And then, you, then I mean, you got to talk about like every job has stress, but like the, the responsibilities, the obligations, the, um, the litigious people out there, uh, you know, if something doesn't go right, it had to be the doctor's fault. It couldn't be the fact that I was smoking. My diabetes was out of control. I was overweight. I was non-compliant with the doctor's instructions. So um, the, the physician burnout rate and the suicide rate right now of physician, number one physician or number one suicide rate in the country is physicians. Wow. We just took that spot this year over from the dentists. And of the physicians, 28.2% of physician suicides are orthopedic surgeons. That's crazy. Almost Probably have more of a higher death rate, I would assume. Probably, but definitely a higher suicide rate, which, I mean, yeah. just blew my mind when I saw that statistic. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I got out of police work. You know, there's a high suicide rate in police work. And, and then just the life expectancy of police officers is 65 years old. Wow. 65 for all police officers. Compared to the general population, that's right. just Right, and everybody will say, well, there's the 22-year-old cop that gets shot, or they'll say a suicide, but... That's not it. There's, no. <laughs> it's, it's, there's lots of police officers, and to only live an average life of, of 65, uh, it's the stress. I was going to say it. All you, cops have stress. In fact, their, their hair turns gray at age 45. It's just it's why I got out. I retired early. Thank God I got out. It looks still non-gray. That looks pretty good. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. There's no <laughs> die-up in here. I'm still, I'm still good, man. No just for men? No, no. Nothing, no. I'm good. All right. Keep them coming. I think you got right. one more business, right? Yeah, so, um, well, the one is kind of personal. I, got, I have two more. Okay. So one one maybe, I think I have it here on my personal, but um, who, are, who are the mentors? Who did you surround yourself with that got you to this level? Because I know where you're from, from Townville. Yeah. Right? You're, you're, you're overachieving. You're winning, as Charles Sheen, Charlie Sheen would say. So I know you didn't do that on your own. I know you're smart. Yeah. But I know you didn't do that on your own. So who are, pick out, say, three, four, five people that got you here uh, first and foremost, my mom and my dad, right? Um, not in medicine. My mom is a beautician, had a, a private uh, beauty salon in our house for over 50 years. My dad was a teacher at uh, Meadville Junior High for uh, 31 years and worked at Hannah Hardware's in Townville. So um, I didn't get the medical influence from them, but I got my, my work ethic and my grit and my determination and my perseverance from them. Um, professionally, uh, Dr. Greg Coppola, who will also be a future podcast guest. Um, I owe pretty much my entire, um, desire to be a, a, a osteopathic physician to him because I was planning to go to chiropractic. I remember school. him. We played basketball with him when, yeah. when you lived family with him. first. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And then, um, let's see here. Um, my mentors in, in residency, Dr. Christopher Nigerian, Dr. Uh, Dennis Kelly, and then my fellowship director, um, Dr. Adolf Lombardi. He he was the one that um, taught me so many valuable lessons in terms of like, there's no job that is too, uh, you know, mundane or uh, small for me to do, right? And, and efficiency. So if I want to, uh, you know, maintain an efficient operating room, like I have to be able to mop the floor, change the sheets on a bed, move a patient over. Don't Don't look at it as like that's beneath me. And um, that will also gain a lot of respect from your team and they'll work harder for you when you realize, when they realize that you're, you're doing the small stuff that maybe even some of them wouldn't want to necessarily do. I mean, I was scrubbing toilets in my office last week um, because I take pride in that kind of stuff. The, the way that things look, the way that things present because uh, it's my baby. Absolutely. It's funny. I go off on a little sidetrack here, but I always thought of a business idea. I think there should be an app that rates businesses, bathrooms, 
Because if you can't keep your bathroom clean, what does it look behind the restaurant doors or the surgery room? Yeah. It, I take pride in the restroom. At every business I have, it is spot and clean. Same. <laughs> That's a great thing. I mean, I've, I've never thought about it that way, but like it's very visible, right? Now, granted, you don't have the doors open, but when you go in there, if it's sloppy, if there's paper towels on the floor, oh. I, I always teach my boys that too. I was like, if you see a paper towel on the floor in a, in a restroom, even if it's a gas station restroom, yeah. pick it up. I mean, if you go leave out, the world a little bit better than how you found it. If you go out and go, you have a good steak dinner and you walk in and the bathroom is disgusting, you're like, oh my god! Yeah, what's happening in the kitchen, right? <laughs> yeah. So that, that's that, that's interesting. So, yeah. All right. So the last business question I have is: uh, Do you anticipate expanding out of hips and knees, or just sticking with that forever? Where do you, where do you? So we already have. Um, I don't do anything personally other than hip and knee replacement. Dr. Friendneck, same as me, but we've added uh, Dr. Carl Sion and Dr. Daniel Milam, sports medicine experts, shoulder experts, um, knee experts in kind of the sports medicine world, ligamentous reconstruction, rotator cuff surgery, uh, shoulder replacement, reverse shoulder replacement. Like ACLs for the athletes? Absolutely, yeah. But I don't personally do that. But yeah, I mean, when I first started Whole Health in 2018 for the first three years we strictly did two operations hip replacement knee replacement and since then we've more than doubled our size of all the employees i started with 14 employees now i have 31 or 32 um and we do pretty much everything other than spine surgery and some more complex like foot and ankle stuff okay awesome yeah all right well you want me to go on to the personal yeah questions? do the personal stuff all right, so I already asked you one of them. I was asking, I know where you're from. Where did you get the confidence and the intelligence to, to put you where you're at now? So I already answered that. <clears throat> ask you that one. I asked you who, I think I did them all. I, uh, I asked you who were your mentors along the way, and then uh, where, yourself, where do you see yourself professionally and personally in 10 years from now? How old are you now right now? Uh, be 45 next month, a couple weeks. So, so where do you see yourself? I mean, I think it all really depends upon where your kids are at in life, right? So Luca is eight, our youngest, so he'll be 18. So probably a senior in high school, um, getting ready to go to college. So I'll be here in Erie, Pennsylvania, at least unless something catastrophic were to happen, uh, practicing orthopedic surgery, um, hopefully growing the practice. And my goal is to continue to do professionally what I do now, but to do it better every single year than I did the previous year. Personally, um, I'm all about personal growth. Um, I'm all about um, taking care of myself and making myself better. So personal health. Um, I love to travel. My wife and I, Karen, we love to travel. We like to, um, you know, experience different cultures. That's a, a, a thing that I want to teach and provide for our boys. Um, we, we are going to try to do like a, a relatively big kind of foreign travel experience at least every year, if not every two years. Um, we went to Italy for two weeks last year. We're going to Greece next summer. Um, and I just like to expose them to that because I think it's it's a huge part of education for them to see that it's not just how it how it is here in, in northwest Pennsylvania. Right. Um, so, yeah, those are the, the main things that I want to do. And, you know, I don't have a lot of personal hobbies other than, like, I like to play golf. I don't play as much as I'd like to. I like to tinker. I like to build things. I like to design things. Um, and I'm always looking for like little offshoot businesses. I, uh, when Bill Spiros, my attorney was on here, he's, uh, he said, I think you have like 15 LLCs or, or maybe more. Cause I have all these other businesses that they kind of like you, um, mo most people think that I'm just an orthopedic surgeon, but that's like the tip of the iceberg for me. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Cool. So turn the tables. 
Turn the tables. So, um, again, I've known you for very close to 30 years. Like you said, probably 10th grade for you, which would have been, what, 7th grade or so? Yeah. 7th yeah. or 8th yeah, grade for like me? two grades below me, yeah. Um, but who was your major influence for your, your first primary career, which was you were a police officer? Um, I remember when I was knee high, I was always saying, I told my mom I want to be a cowboy or a cop. That's what I told her. And, uh, you I know, see you're wearing cowboy boots. Yeah, so. I, got, I got my cowboy boots on. Um, when I got out of high school, if she didn't push me, my mom, my mom, Amy, if she didn't push me into police work, she kind of was like, well, I'm scheduling you to go to the police academy. Um, and I went to Edinburgh for criminal justice. If she didn't do that, I don't know what I would have done. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like she, like I kind of like knew I wanted to be a cop, but then how to do it? She like, she forced it. She pushed it. Um, and then I went, I just went to, uh, I actually went to Tiffin university in Ohio for mm -hmm. criminal justice. I transferred back. I was homesick. Believe it or not, I got homesick. Uh, but I come back to Edinburgh for my sophomore year. And then I took the police academy in the summer. And I actually didn't complete my degree because I, I got hired. E Erie, um, Gerard, I got hired in Gerard as a police officer first. And then Erie uh, police called me in 1999. Wow. And um, I'm gonna I'm not going to waste another question. I mean, it's my podcast. I can control this. But um, <laughs> so I'm going to focus kind of on your police career first. Yeah. Um, you did that for close to 20 years. Um, a incredibly stressful job, incredibly demanding job. Um, as you mentioned, the, the life expectancy of a police officer is significantly lower than the general population. Um, what were some of the things that, you, if you had to say, this was my favorite part of the job, and on the side, the, the opposite side of that, what was the least favorite part of being a police officer? Well, um, I, I mean, I loved being a police officer. I, I was a cop right at 21 years old. Um, I think I went into it. You know, you know, some people go into it for the authority, the power. Maybe there was something subconsciously that I, everybody likes that, I guess. But, I mean, I went in to help people, you know, on TV. You see the police officers always, like, helping people out. And Were you a big cops fan growing up? Yeah, the, yeah. The show? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I liked that. And um, But but I got in, and I really loved the job for five years. I mean, I loved it. I worked third shift, running and gunning. I mean, it's just crazy. Crazy. It's crazy what... In Erie, it's crazy what happens after dark. I mean, the regular <laughs> civilians, you guys yeah. have no idea. No idea. Different world, right? I mean, I always said that we were the shepherds and you guys were the sheep. And, like, I've seen behind uh, the curtains, so it was like in the Wizard of Oz looking. I mean, it's it's scary what goes on out there. Yeah. Um, but I loved it for five years. Um, but, you know, it just it got to the point where... I mean, I'm, this is kind of negative, but you don't really help anybody. You just, you're basically babysitting the lower end of the society, you know? And I don't think race has anything to do with uh, crime. I think it's all poverty. Poor people commit crimes. <laughs> you know, yeah. of the people that do commit the crimes, there's always it, it, drugs and alcohol involved in it. And uh, I don't know, it just... You got to the point where I was resting, resting the same people over and over and over again. And I just, I wanted to do more, you know, and help people. And I realized I wasn't helping anybody. I was just responding to calls. So you loved it for five years. You did it for almost 20 years. So that means yeah. 15 years. Did you dread it? Were I you like, I, I don't want to go to work today? Or I dreaded it. I mean, I'm also very entrepreneurial. I, I, I want to make money. Um, so, I mean, I always had a little side off things. I used to make cornhole boards for money. Um, I did start buying real estate when I was 25, but I just wanted to make more money. And, uh, you know, you're just, you know, I worked a ton of overtime. I made good money as a police officer, but you're, you know, if you're an employee, you're never, sorry, to, your employers are going to hear this, but you're never going to get ready.
ever. <laughs> as an employee, you have to start a business. You'll never get rich as an employee. Yeah. So I guess when was it that you decided, because did, did you do the 20 years for, for pension purposes? Were you kind of like the whole time thinking, I'm going to get out of this as soon as I can? And at that point, what was your next game plan? Like, what was your next venture? Well, I, I started my my first, uh, well, it'd be my second, because I was buying real estate all along. I was buying duplexes and houses in the city. But uh, in 2014, I, I, I met one of my business partners, Matt Bauer, one of my mentors that really taught me a lot about business. And uh, we started a business together. And, and uh, by the time I by the time I retired, it was costing me way more money to go to work than not to go to work because I was just making so much money in my other business, and that you know I stayed long enough. When, when people talk about starting a business, I would never quit start a business. You know, I would start the business as a hobby, and when you're making enough money that it doesn't make sense to go to work, then then you should stop. Yeah. You know what I mean? That that's how I operate as a conservative. Yeah, you, you know, kind of phased into it. Phased into it, yeah. And was that the the Credit repair uh, portion sort of, of it's a, I, we're in the credit industry. We help businesses build credit, repair credit, get loans, things like that. And it's the finance industry, budgeting. It's 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 all the stuff that that schools should be teaching people that we help. We help people. Was learn. that if I remember from your your kind of CV, was that 2014 that you started that? Yeah. And then 16, you retired as a, from a being a police officer. Yep. Yeah, I did that. I worked my business for two years um, after, and then finally I retired in 2016. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything you miss about being a police officer? Nothing, nothing. I mean, I, driving fast, but I still have a cop <laughs> plate. I love driving fast, but my, you know, luckily, and not that a police officer can't write a uh, ticket to another police officer because they can and they do. But you know, if if there's if it's a if, victimless if you get crime, the, a lot the of the fraternal times, order of police license get, plates, right? It's yeah, like I got the, the FOP plates, and <laughs> and luckily, most cops don't write cops tickets unless there's someone getting harmed. Okay. So my last kind of business question, um, because now you've, you've you've done multiple things. You started real estate in your early 20s. You were a police officer. I'm just going to say for 20 years. You started kind of a credit repair business uh, business in 2014. And then in 2022, yep. you started a, a different yeah. venture. One Can year ago. Share that. Yeah. One, one year ago today, I started a... Today? Uh, one year ago. Uh, September 28th was my one okay. year. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, I started a logistics brokerage. So we broker trucks. We bring a lot of the, all the produce pretty much that we eat, avocados, tomatoes, limes, let, it all comes from Mexico, Florida, and California. Okay. So I broker trucks to pick up that produce and bring it across. And Can you explain that just for our uh, viewers and for me too? Like when you say you broker trucks, is that organizing? Like, hey, I'm going to get the tomatoes out of Florida. I'm going to get the oranges out of, you know, California, wherever it comes from and where they're going what does that mean broker so the produce brokers they're the ones that buy the produce and then they need to get it from there to here so i'm a truck broker so i okay. broker trucks so i my my customers i go find uh like walmart could be my customer okay and they send me down to a, a house to get a whole truck of tomatoes and bring it up to pittsburgh and then it goes to a one central place and then that place sells it to uh, all the country fairs and the sheets and, and that kind of stuff got it because I just assumed that like Walmart just all, did all that internally oh. and because they've got all their Walmart trucks. So you could see a vehicle that's not a Walmart truck bringing produce oh, yeah. from Florida that could eventually that stuff could go to Walmart. Is that yeah, accurate? Yeah, that's what it does. I mean, the I can't I don't know the exact stats on it, but uh, it, 
eight, like 90 some percent of all trucking companies have less than five trucks. Wow. So that means only 15% are so on the trucks, you know, so they're subcontracted trucks. Just drive down the highway yeah, and look at every semi. They're all different companies, little mom and pop companies. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, over the past year, has this been um, like, what got you into that? Like who, was there a mentor? Was there an influence? And how have you enjoyed that last year? It's been extremely stressful because my first business was very successful. I guess my second business. And, uh, but I, I started all over again. And if you can imagine when you start a business, like I forgot the grind it took. <laughs> and uh, it's been an extremely challenging year. I just never quit. Um, I like making money from a laptop. We, my wife and I go to the Caribbean twice a year. I love traveling. And in my other business, it's all finance. It's over the internet. It's, it, I can do it from anywhere. So this, we were all set up for it. This is, you know, I can make money from anywhere. All I need is the internet. And that's yeah. what, and you just work from home primarily work from home. Yeah. When I build an office at home, but yeah, I work from home. Okay. Yeah. So personal stuff. All right. I know um, your wife, Jess, you have three boys, yep. um, Joey. I'm going to call them by their names that I remember them as. Yeah. He probably goes by Joe now, but Joey, yeah. Mikey, and Nash. Yep. Um, can you give us their ages, kind of what they're doing, where they're at in life? Yeah, Joey, uh, my firstborn, he's 20 years old at Slippery Rock now. He's following his mother's footsteps. He's going to be a special ed teacher. He's got oh, that's awesome. great temperament for it. Um, I could never do that, but he's just that's like my wife mom. does too. So Yeah. The um, patience required, right? Oh yeah, and I would I would not do well at that either. Yeah, but he I think he's going to be real good at that. Um, Mikey's a senior at Mercyhurst. Um, saw he's the captain of the soccer team. I'm very proud of that, and he's going to go into business and finance. So he's kind of falling in your footsteps. Yeah, he's very ambitious, and you know he's just you just look at him, you just know you got it. You're going to be successful. You know. Now is soccer in high school? Is that a fall or spring sport? It's a fall, but he, you know, he plays for the club team, so it's it's all year round for him. Got it. And uh, Mercyhurst is after him, so I'm hoping that he goes to Mercyhurst University, and we'll that'd see. be great, especially for uh, for you and Jess to be able to go watch a lot of yeah. local games. Yeah, that'd be great. And they've always had a very very strong soccer program there. Actually, yeah. later this week, um, I have uh, Mr. John Melody mm. is going to be uh, on my podcast. Um, Excellent. Spent a lot of years as both the men and women's coach at Mercier's. When I was there, he was there. And then he's kind of like us. He's very entrepreneurial. Now he's a restaurant owner, owns all the you pick sixes. And nice. so I, I'm excited to hear his story. But I love what about Nash? Nash, he's at Fort LaBeouf. He's going to be going to Mercyhurst next year. And he's a he's So a, what year is he then? He's eighth grade. So okay. he's going ninth grade. Um, he loves he loves hockey, soccer. He's a. He's a mixture of both boys. You know what I mean? He's just super smart, super ambitious, and uh, he's, he's just it's fun to be around him. He's a good dude. Now, does he still, like, race go-karts and stuff like that? Yeah, he races go-karts in the summer. Um, gosh, he's busy all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good, though. I mean, I feel like if these kids don't have these extracurricular activities, it's easy to get in trouble, especially, or get on your your, your devices, whether it's a phone or you an know, iPad or something like that. As a like parent, that. that's what I've always said. Keep them busy. You know, the sports, there's not, the sports... You can always tell, like when we would play in those three-on-threes and you play against three kids that never played organized sports and they were just, it's just unbelievable. They couldn't handle losing. Mm-hmm. Remember that, like the oh, yeah. reactions a lot of those kids would give? And that's what sports really teaches. It teaches you how to win and it teaches you how to lose. With composure. With composure. And grace, right? Yeah. Win with grace, lose with grace. That's what I tell my boys all the time. Like, you don't have to like losing. Trust me, I hate losing, but... 
um, you got to be a good sport about it and, yeah. and, and go up to your competition afterwards and give them credit if, yeah. if they beat you. Yeah. So, um, Jess, um, she's a, a special ed teacher. Um, such a sweet, sweet lady. Yes, um, how did you guys meet? So Jess and I met at Edinburgh university. We were at a party down there, Sigtaw party. And, uh, we met one night and just hit it off and, you know, yeah, it doesn't work for everybody, but we I met my wife. I moved her in two weeks later. Whoa. I, I proposed to six months and I married her one year later. And I you know and we were twenty twenty-three or something. I don't know, I'm not sure. We've been married like twenty-one years. Was so. your place that you first lived together, was that the one in Cambridge Springs? Like yeah. it was real close to like Riverside, right? Yeah. Like just almost the same street, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, it was a little little apartment right there, right next to the riverside and Man, it seems like so long ago, but yeah, I, I got lucky there. So what would you say, uh, you kind of moved around, you, uh, I think in, in your email earlier to me, you said you went to like 10 different schools kind of growing up, but what would you say was your favorite part about growing up in like the rural community of say Northwest Pennsylvania? Well, I don't know. I love the country. And when I, when I moved to the city at age 21 up to Erie, um, I love city people too, but I just think there's a big difference between, you know, it's like country people, we all know our neighbors. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I moved, uh, when I moved to Erie on East 26th street over 933 East 26th street over by East Avenue, Jessica made lasagna four four pots of lasagna or bowl or whatever. And we took lasagna to the two neighbors to the right of us and two neighbors to the left of us. And, uh, you know, I remember the, the knocking on the door and the, they thought, like, who are you? Like, are you, are you trying to break in or something? Or now we're just, we just moved in. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, man. I, I I just, I love how in the country, everybody knows your neighbors. You take care of each other. Yeah. No, I would say the same thing. And, and I think it, and, and this isn't a slam to any people that grew up in the city. I mean, my God, my wife grew up in Metro Detroit, uh, much bigger than Erie. But um, there's a different mentality, too, in terms of, like, work ethic, too. Like, I grew up on a farm. Right, so we were we were cutting our own wood. Uh, we were doing hay for the cows in the summer. You know, my dad, General G. We were mowing oh, yeah. the lawn three times a week, three times, if not four. <laughs> Gerald was tough if, on the grass. If there if there was a blade out of place, it was like, all right, get out there, yeah, and take care of it. He was an old man way before he was an old man, for when sure. It comes to grass. <laughs> so the the next thing that we always kind of do is we, you know, the sawbones. Um, Shoe stretch, or I'm sorry, the seventh inning sawbone shoe stretch. So it's kind of my little ode to baseball because all three of our boys play travel baseball. Kind of break it up a little bit, but um, I always ask my guests to uh, either wear a pair of their favorite shoes or boots, um, or a pair of shoes or boots that have like a very special story or meaning to them. So what do you what are you kicking here? So I got some cowboy boots from the old boot barn, and you know what it was is uh, I kept seeing construction workers like uh, PennDOT. On the highways, I kept seeing them wear cowboy boots. I'm like, why are they wearing cowboy boots? Well, I didn't realize how dang comfortable they are. So I went up and tried to pair on. I mean, if you haven't tried on a pair of cowboy boots, I mean, like, look, the tops of them, I know they look kind of silly, but your pants cover them all the time, and they look just like my dress shoes. But they are, if you don't have a pair, they are the most comfortable boot, shoe you will ever put on. I promise you that. So that's what Ryan said when he was over here. And I was like, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. And um, I mean, they just because they got the heel on there. I just I'm definitely not opposed to it. I kind of like the look, too. 
I don't know if I could pull it off, but um. you can do it. <laughs> I mean, think about it. They don't. They, I mean, they're similar to dress shoes from here, aren't they? Do, do they take a while to get broken in? No, no, pretty, man. Pretty quick. Yeah, just and they have all different kinds of style. You can get real flashy, or you can just get real. Plain. How many pairs do you have? I just have one. You know, really? but I could. I already. So there's a couple other pairs I'd like to have. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, try it. We're gonna put a pair of cowboy boots in your, in your outfit. <laughs> do they make Air Jordan cowboy boots? They probably do. That'd be pretty yeah. cool if they didn't. What do you got on here? So these are the uh, Air Jordan One Lows. Uh, these are the fuchsias. Um, I chose this pair tonight um, because it's October. It's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Um, I try to coordinate. Um, you can see the shirt. It's a whole health shirt, but it's our breast cancer awareness one. So um, I'll put a little screenshot of the back of it because it's the whole health tree with. Uh, pink leaves, uh, pink uh, breast cancer ribbon on the trunk. And, um, you know, just uh, giving support out there to, uh, I mean, one of our guests last week uh, was Dr. Kimberly Masha. She's a breast cancer survivor. Um, you know, it's such a, a huge issue in our society. Um, and I think awareness is the key and making sure that women are doing, you know, local, you know, checks with their, their whether it's mammograms, self breast exams by themselves, um, and not just and family history is one thing, but like you can be the first person in your family to have it. There's hormonal things with, with breast cancer, uh, receptors and things like that. So, um, just being aware of it and spreading that word so that it, cause it's very treatable in the, in the vast majority of cases too, kind of like testicular or prostate cancer is for a man. So, um, but yeah, just kind of giving a shout out for, uh, the month of, uh, October here. So looks good. So the next part is always one of my favorite um, parts. It's the uh, it's the Sawbones Challenge. So Sawbones Challenge, okay. So I have to ask one question because I know you had an elbow injury. Which elbow was it? My left elbow, right here. Okay, and you're right-handed. Yes. So am yeah. I gonna get excuses from you? No. Okay, because um, what we generally do, and I won't say always because we've mixed it up a little bit, but what we generally do is we. I would say 75% of the challenges have been us going outside and doing a three-point competition. Okay. <laughs> I, I can still beat you like I always did, but I do have cowboys. Oh, my on. goodness, folks. Stay tuned. <laughs> Sawbone Challenge coming up next. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. All right, everybody. Sawbone Challenge. This guy thinks he's going to beat me. I'm going to. And the rules are first to five. You go first, I get the last chance, right? All right. One by one? one yeah, by one. one by one. No, like one by one. I shoot. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Shoot you one. shoot, I shoot. Ooh. This close to a brick.
this one. You always keep it under pressure. There it is. Oh! You need, you need triple rims. Yeah, metal backboard, triple yeah. rims. The only thing they could have been. Hey, it's mine to lose. We'll take the garbage. Over trophy. Uh oh, this could be game, folks. Like old school. Challenge. Right, so hey everybody, welcome back after the Sawbones Challenge. Um, Mike, I want to thank you again for uh, just taking time out of your busy Sunday. I know that you had some hockey this morning that you were coaching. We've got football on. What do we got here? This is an unbelievable, ridiculous score. The Browns are beating the, the 49ers 13 to 10 uh, with a little over 11 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Like with their third string quarterback too, by the way. So um, it's kind of in the background, but you know, you asked me earlier, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I always ask my guests that as kind of like my final conclusion question. So where is Mike Burrows and Jess Burrows in, in 10 years from now? Well, I think we're going to do the snowbird thing for sure. We'll probably keep a house up here, but we definitely want to move to a warmer climate. Um, do you have a kid, target? Do you have like a place that you really, really like? Um, with Florida, we've talked about Florida, Arizona. I don't care. I, I travel anywhere. I don't know as if we'll actually buy a place. I think we'll just do a different place every year, you know? Okay. But uh, Carolina, somewhere. Um, I just got to get my kids, you know, five more years. Um, get my kids out of school, let them finish here, and then we'll see what happens, you know? But you would definitely still have a place up here. Yeah. I mean, I love Erie in the summer. It's probably the best place in the whole country to be in the summer for 80 days. I'll give it that. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Even through September, the majority of the time, because September is really nice up here, but... You know, it's already turned much colder than I thought it was going to this year. Um, you know, a couple weekends ago we had unbelievable weather, but it's, I think it's gone. Yeah. Yep, so. it's time to pack it up for the winter. <laughs> winter is coming, as they say on Game of Thrones. So my uh, good buddy, and he he uh, got to get him on the podcast, Pete Theophilus. Have you ever met Pete? I don't think I have. So he is Karen's cousin's husband from Michigan, and it's always funny because we're usually with them 4th of July. And a couple, I mean, every year he does this. It'd be like, the uh, Fourth of July, he's like, "Well, summer's over." And I'm just like, "You are <laughs> such a pessimist," but he's kind of true. Like, I feel like once Fourth of July hits, the rest of summer goes so quick. Yeah, it does. and the kids are getting ready to go back to school. But, buddy, thank you again for uh, coming out. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, um, you know, we're obviously going to stay connected, continue our little hangouts with uh, yeah, yourself yeah. and Ryan. And um, if people want to get in touch with you about any of your businesses, how would they? do that uh, i got a website uh, bnbcreditbuilders.com that's like bravo november bravo bnbcreditbuilders.com and jay's gonna probably put that like right here on okay. the screen if you need help with credit or uh, if you uh are need help moving freight logistics trio.com okay so you've got a couple options out there love uh, giving local shout out support to uh, you know small business owners entrepreneurs uh like myself and uh Mike, you're, you're rocking it. You're doing great. I'm so proud of you. I mean, you've had a very decorated career. Um, I'd like to thank you for your 20 years of being a police officer. Thank you. Um, I know it was stressful the last three quarters of that 20 years, but, yeah. um, you know, I don't think that the police officers hear that enough. And, you know, there's all these movements, defund the police and this and that. It's yeah. just like, 
come on, seriously. Yeah. Like you do that for like one week and let's see if you still think that. Well, they tried it in Seattle. <laughs> it didn't work out too good. So thanks, buddy. All right, man. Stay tuned. Make sure that you um, share this with your friends. Subscribe. As always, too, if you have any questions, any comments, any guests that you'd like to see, requests, shoot them over to us. And, um, again, thank you for all your support. Thank you for uh, your viewership and the time that we spend together. And looking forward to seeing you next week. And and stay tuned because we've got the teaser for next week's guest coming up. So uh, don't go anywhere. There's no internet at that no point. No internet. I mean, the, the phone was at the end of you know, the dorm and, you know, you couldn't get the quarters attached to it. Well, you couldn't get a, not even that it was payphone, you know? Oh, wow. You you couldn't get the quarters in the phone quick enough to keep the line open to Ireland. You know what I mean? So it was, it was, it was unique to say the least, but you weren't calling your, your family collect. Um, they they wouldn't accept the charges. You know (laughs) what I mean? So yeah, you know, they're like, don't want to talk to him. But, uh, so when you opened John Russell brewery or brewing company, um, you created this particular IPA, what's it called? Uh, pursue your happiness. Well, that's what I yeah. got for you. Did you actually go down and get some of that? I did. Did you? <laughs> that was a shameless plug, wasn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, perfect. Yeah. So I actually had my good uh, friend and my uh, chief operating officer, who you know, Sean yeah, yeah. McKinnon. Right. He was uh, he was helping me out. And I said, I was in clinic today. I said, I don't have time for this. Um, so this is Pursue Your Happiness. And yeah. I, I didn't even know. He's like, all they have is crowlers. I'm like, what the heck's a crowler? Yeah. yeah. I was thinking a growler. Like a, a, a bottle. So is, was this filled just today then? That was just filled straight from the draft system today. And, and then they just put this. Yeah, and it's sealed. So, you know, that's probably good in your fridge. I mean, some people will say, you know, a week or 10 days. I'm saying four or five days. It'll be fine in four or five days. Oh, so but we need yeah. to drink this. Yeah, I mean, we're not uh, we're not leaving till that's so, all gone. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that special, special <clears throat> bunch of guys there. I mean, that was, you know, played in a national semifinal in, El- in 19- Elite Eight. No, on Final Four. Oh. Yeah. Final Four, 1998. So that was my sophomore year. Yeah. Beaten by Wisconsin, or not Wisconsin, but beaten by um, South Carolina Spartansburg. Um, you know, we had, you know what, I, I think a lot of what I'm proud of with that team is we started, well, Spartansburg, who beat us, started nine, sorry, ten foreigners. They had one American on the field. Wow. We had three foreigners. We had eight Americans start that night, and they were exceptional. <laughs> Tell me all about it, Doc.